0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show. Before we get to the author of the new book, Irresistible Faith, Scott Sauls. Let me tell you about what's happening April 30th through May 3rd in Malibu, California. Harbor, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. You've heard us talk about it. You've probably listened to some of the probably dozen podcasts that we have recorded from this very event. So... This year, instead of waiting to hear me talk about it or hear an episode from there, just go there. Just be there for it. There's some really good stuff happening. Uh, one of the guest speakers is a guy named Rabbi David Wolp, who is the senior rabbi of Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. There's a special pre-conference session with Don McLaughlin, front of the show, and Jerry Taylor uh, entitled, No Longer Strangers, Practical Steps for Race Relations important content uh there'll be many good friends at the show Stormman's going to be there great is going to be there sarah barton josh ross colin packard uh, i'm going to be doing some god over good stuff there so you want to come for a couple sessions of that uh it, i mean it'll be a good thing to do um, but of course you don't need good you need god, god over good um, anyway april 30th may 3rd malibu california harbor the pepperdine bible lectures registration opens uh, in just a few days after this podcast airs. So go check that out on their website. There's a link in the show notes. And without further ado, Scott Sauls talking about irresistible faith. Here. <laughs> All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, Scott Sauls. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Luke. Good to be with you. You know, I told you off-air that the reason you got the uh, the call from me asking for some of your time is because you come highly recommended from Annie Downs, and you're Nashville. So basically, I know half of your friends oh, because correct. Nashville is such a small world. And But you're not originally from Nashville. No, originally,
1: um, well, I, I don't know if I have an originally from place. <laughs> we, uh, My dad was with... Uh, with what I call corporate military, he was with IBM. We moved every okay. two years, and finally, he hung that up and started his own business in Atlanta. Um, okay. But even when it, in Atlanta, we we moved school districts every two years uh, into different neighborhoods, and so so I don't really have a childhood home, um, but. Uh, uh, I where have I like you lived to, the longest uh live the longest uh we're we're uh, we're it's gonna be Nashville pretty soon. Uh, we're coming up on seven years here. Uh, we spent five years in New York, um, cumulative nine in St Louis, two different stints there, and then uh, seven in Kansas City where we planted our first church uh-huh. so we're about to surpass the the Kansas City stay, and uh, we've got no, no plans to go anywhere else, so hopefully we'll stay the distance here.
0: Well, I am 37 years old, and I think I've lived in seven or eight different states in my life, wow. uh, including a couple short stints places, but a- as a kid, I'd move schools a couple times, and I feel like one of the benefits of that is that you learn how to make friends easier because you've done it so much compared to someone who's grown up in the same place, in the same town, with the same people, yeah. yet moving at such a high rate that the longest you've ever lived somewhere is seven or nine years. That's got to have some, obviously I assume you're comfortable with change to some degree, or do you find yourself like you've, you've done it so much that you don't want it ever again? Well, I mean, we,
1: there's an, there's, there's sort of an adventure to change as well. I mean, I don't want to just poo poo it. I mean, there, there, it's fun to sort of move it can be fun to move toward a new thing, especially if it's something that you're drawn to. Some people have to move to things they aren't drawn to. You know, we've had the luxury of always being able to move toward something we were really drawn to and feel like we were called to. So there's an adventure to that. But I, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, obviously the sadness of leaving old ties behind and, and um, you know, form, having to form new communities and then discovering, hey, you know, a lot of... A lot of the people here have been in community with each other for 25, 30 years. And so we're like way late to the party and we don't have the shared history. And so, um, I, 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 there's a part of me that envies people that have a long shared history with mm-hmm. the same people, you know, peaks and valleys and that sort of thing. Maybe I romanticize that a little bit too much. Uh, but um, I don't know. That's part of life. I think that I, I, I guess I've maybe missed out on just not not living yep. long, long haul anywhere yet.
0: So yeah, the, the church that I'm a part of now, my wife actually grew up at this church. Oh wow, okay. And so it's weird that like I might be the senior pastor of it, but my wife has decades of experience with people, and so in some ways she has longer and deeper connections mm-hmm. than, than even I do, even though I, I work here day yeah. in day out. So yeah, it, de- it definitely changes your experience when you have that sort of longevity, and it's. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, y- you were in New York for a while. It sounds yeah. like Atlanta, uh, Nashville, St. Louis, Midwest, South, kind of. St. Louis is that South or what do you?
1: St. Louis is Midwest, so they call Midwest, it the Gateway okay. to the West, the Arch, and everything. But but yeah, so my you know the short the short version is uh, you know high sc- I'll start in high school. High school was Atlanta, then end up going going to seminary and uh, in St. Louis. Then went to Kansas City, planted that church, we were there for seven years, went back to St. Louis, planted another church there for five, got a surprise call from from Redeemer in New York, and you know, it took six months to decide to go there together and and uh, we were there for five before coming here, and never intended to leave any of those places, and so um, and yet here we are.
0: What, what was it like to transition from the South and the Midwest? As someone who lived in Ohio for mm-hmm. five years, Ohio, the South, has some commonality. But as someone who was born in Philadelphia, uh, I can imagine the New York Change was the biggest cultural shock. I- am I accurate with that assessment? Yeah, I don't know which was the bigger culture shock: moving to
1: New York or from New York. Um, because you know, once you're there for a certain number of years, you're sort of formed into a, a city person, uh, and you okay. you get used to the pedestrian lifestyle. You get very accustomed to. You know, bumping into the richest and the poorest people in the world in the same day, uh, you know, five different languages spoken on one bus or one subway car is a normal thing and all the culture and energy there. And so, so that was challenging to move into. I mean, we moved from, you know, a, a four bedroom house in St. Louis into an 850 square foot apartment with zero storage. And we were initially mortified and then grew to love it. And, just the ease of having so little to take care of, and you know, just able to kind of live a low maintenance life with respect to where you lived. But, um, you know, so there, there's a lot about living there that was really wonderful. Um, but, you know, we're, I guess we've become adaptable. We is, you know, we moved to Nashville, and that was. Everything felt so quiet. We felt like maybe we've been left behind, you know, because you're so used to all the noise. I bet, yeah. But we've become accustomed to it. It's a lovely city with so much creativity and beauty here uh, in so many ways and from so many directions. So we're thankful to be here.
0: I can imagine that from your multiple experiences at church, it gives you... I wouldn't say a holistic like you. You haven't seen all of them, but you have a lot more experiences seeing different expressions of church and how the church relates to the city that they are a part of <laughs> and the communities that they reside in. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense for you to write a book. and what you're talking, um, at, at least at the beginning, there, there's a I don't want to say a strong critique, but there's a critique of what the church has kind of egressed into being in relationship to its. The community that's it's a part of and one of the things I like one of the lines I liked the most about the book was uh, when you say that the world doesn't need uh, a religious imitation of itself right, right? And, and as you've looked around have you seen this being a reoccurring theme in multiple different mm-hmm. settings in multiple different uh, communities of faith uh, you know um,
1: uh, you know most of the observation you know of those sorts of things happens on the blogosphere and through social media and things i mean obviously the churches that you and i lead luke we we try to lead them in in a way that's faithful to the truth and also um you know sensitive and thoughtful toward the environment that we live in you're in austin right Yep. Yeah. Great town. I mean, you, you you've got to mm-hmm. you got to you've got to do ministry in a in a unique sort of way in order to connect with Austin. We were actually just there for our uh, our vacation between Christmas and New Year's. We decided to go to Austin, yes. uh, and it's very it's kind of a one of a kind place. And so you've got to. Okay. So
0: let me interrupt though. Yeah. Where did you eat while you were here? Oh in my Austin?
1: goodness! Everywhere. Um, okay. I. You know, here's the bizarre thing. So. Um, so my I have a really good friend down there who works with Austin Stone Church uh, named Aaron mm-hmm. Ivey. He's the music director there. Oh, yeah, there. yeah. And uh, he recommended all these great places with all these exclamation points, right? He and his <laughs> wife, Jamie. And so Jamie, we went yeah, to the, yeah. the barbecue place, the Salt Lake Barbecue. Uh, the went suggestion. to the, the place with uh, all the pancakes and breakfast. this iconic place. I think it starts with an M. I can't remember what it's called. Um but Damn. it was amazing. It was a diner. Kevin. And uh and then uh I mean we ate this Thai place and then the donut truck uh mm-hmm. whatever it's like I can't remember yeah, what was but, but I mean I, I count I think I ate fifteen thousand calories a day for, for, <laughs> for four solid days. Didn't work out that much and <laughs> Here's the honest truth. I came home and I dropped five pounds while in Austin. So there's something going on there that's good, because yep. uh, yep. you can eat unlimited amounts of food and still, you know, drop pounds. But, but that's anyway, terrible. but you know, back to your question. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think we, I, I think we're always at risk of either being uh, irrelevant to the culture because um, we've got a, maybe an antiquated or outdated. Uh, methodology of how we do our ministry, or we're um, we 're not being really effective uh, in in many of the things, especially the prophetic things that Jesus has called us to be about if if we 're just all about cultural accommodation and um you know I, I full of grace and truth, I think is is a good sort of mantra for for anyone in ministry or, or you know church or Christian leadership to just keep those two things in balance that that um you know you, you have firm convictions and sometimes those are going to be counterculture right uh, and and yet those convictions will also to lead us, not in spite of the convictions, but because of them they're going to lead us to love, Um, to love well, Uh, including and and especially the people who don't buy into Christianity and, um, you know, because of our beliefs, we're going to love better, not worse Uh, because of our firm convictions about the gospel. um, You know, I, I like to kind of put it this way with our people, you know, the more, the more you know zeroed in we are on the narrow path the broader our embrace is going to be and and the more conservative we are in our beliefs about every word of, of the bible the more liberal we're going to be in the way that we love our neighbors and so um so yeah we can unpack that if you want but but uh but yeah i think the church in in the states is is at risk um millennials are disenchanted with the you know the right-leaning partisan politics of their parents and grandparents and and you know uh, who knows their kids might be disenchanted with their left-leaning politics yep. co-opted into their faith you know uh, and yep. and and so you know we'll see how it plays
0: out well i think it's just a really uh, and it's astute observation that when the church looks so similar to the world, then we don't have a word to say to the world. If if all we're doing is giving the got it up version of their message, whether it's you know pol- same politics, if it's you know a, a Bible verse baptized left agenda or a baptized Bible verse up right agenda, yeah. we, we still don't have our own message. We're yeah. still letting our message being co opted by the world. Around us, and I I like the like the grace versus true stuff. And I know that's a complicated metaphor, but I think the rhetoric helps us kind of a picture of we want to have grace, but we also want to believe in something. How do you help people balance that of, of of having a true voice, but also like like you're saying, being being liberal with love.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of it is by example. I mean, you know, a lot of it is just you know finding the best stories out there and latching onto them. One, one that I came across recently just stunned me, and I don't know, I don't know how this didn't cross my radar when it happened. But do, are you? you're probably not old enough to remember a guy named jerry falwell uh Uh, right yeah yeah, yeah. you know jerry Jerry. so jerry falwell has sort of this this kind of rough reputation for being um an offensive uh voice uh um you know uh, attempting to represent christianity when 9-11 happened i think a low point uh, for, I guess the Falwell voice or what was called the moral majority movement, um, which is very right leaning politically and, you know, slap Christian name on it. Um, and, uh, you know, nine 11 happened and, you know, he and another TV preacher out on national television and blamed all of these different, sin groups so to speak in America for why 9/11 happened which number one it's completely untrue that it's the fault of you know this group and that group and that group it's the fault of the people who actually did it um, but but the other part is that that um, it was just so unhelpful as a witness I mean I don't know about you Luke you've been it sounds like you've been in ministry for a while uh, I've been in ministry for you know well over 20 years I've been a, a Christian for over 30. I've never met a single person who said, I fell in love with Jesus because a Christian or a group of S- Christians scolded me because of my ethics or scolded me because of my morality or my bad politics or whatever. But here's what we miss about Jerry Falwell. Do you know who wrote the most glowing, have you heard the story, who wrote the, wrote the most glowing eulogy of his life after he died? Who was Larry it? Flint. Do you know yeah. who that is? Founder of Hustler yeah. Magazine. Yeah. Uh, like Falwell had had befriended him sort of behind the scenes like they got to know each other got to know each other's wives they had meals together they visited each other and they both tried to evangelize each other um you know to their side and neither won the other over but what happened was this this respect uh and and dignity in their friendship grew over time now the way that they first met was that flint was putting out cartoon ads that were that were mocking falwell in in new york times and stuff and falwell reached out um you know with a you know with 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 a hug you know on on larry King live and that sort of began a friendship and it's like why can't number one why can't those stories be told as well uh but number two why can't those stories be lived more, um, which is probably the more important question, kind of yeah, where we live our lives. So,
0: Yeah, I, I think that is a, if we could get that story to be the one that's front and center with the Falwell name, I think Christianity is going to be doing a whole lot better off than, um, than the 9-11 option. But one of the things that you described, so the book is entitled Irresistible Faith. And one of the things that you point to is that for us to have an irresistible faith that we need to have community, and that the connection of community is essential. Obviously, for, for Christians, the beginning of our our sacred text tells us that it's not good for people to be alone. And he tells us a story that's a very Nashville story of whoever it was, famous musician, she's on stage, people love her, but she feels lonely. Yeah, It seems that that's the experience of so many of us, not just yeah. people who are well-known or on stages, but one of the lines in the book is that... <clears throat> uh, one of the irresistible uh, experiences of humanity is loneliness. Yeah. How is the Christian witness of community uh, a, a good news to a world of, of lonely people?
1: Yeah, I mean, gosh. I mean, the, the witness is only good news to a world of lonely people if if... If that community is also open uh, to lonely people and, and and generously welcoming and hospitable, which, of course, the best and most healthy Christian communities are going to be that. But, I, you know, I love how you pointed out that loneliness was something that God said was not a good thing all the way back in the garden before things went wrong before the fall like god spoke into paradise and said there's one thing wrong with the perfect world that i've set up and that that's that this guy is by himself and you know god god at that point in time didn't know what it meant to be alone you know uh you know it, it, the trinity yep. had existed father son holy spirit in this perfect communion for all eternity and and you know, God enters into this isolating experience on the cross where the father and the, the son are, are separated and, and isolated from one another. And, and, you know, but, but, but in the garden of paradise, even, you know, community is, and, and I think everybody, you know, viscerally feels that, that we need connectivity. We need, you know, even our physical health there are all kinds of studies coming out saying that our physical health will be compromised if we're not connected. I mean, the UK just 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 initiated a new position, a higher a high-level political position called the Minister of Loneliness for the for for the whole UK, you know, and 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 um i i don't think in this hostile climate where everybody's kind of tribalizing joining an echo chamber hiding behind a screen um you know looking for something or someone to get offended by i, I don't think this is an environment that feels safe i don't think it, it, it's an environment that is safe uh, unless you've got a community that that's that's um that's built on the premise that 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 we belong to a community that we don't deserve to belong to because Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ has paid the cost uh, to create that belonging for us. And, 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 and being welcomed into that belong, into that place of belonging in his community, um, you know, should, should have this, 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 this sort of effect of, 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 Creating generous, open, hospitable, welcoming hearts. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a, a glorious witness when when we draw people in into that community, whether they believe or not, you know, it, invite people a great witness to your question is to invite people to belong with us before they believe with us. I mean, Jesus was doing that all the time. He welcomes sure. sinners and eats with them, right? And that's that's what he got criticized for. And that that was the most beautiful witness in the history of the world for him to do that
0: but unfortunately we typically say if you behave right you believe right then you can finally belong with us but i I think the picture of jesus like you're saying it's the opposite of that and one of the things that you mentioned earlier is that the echo chambers is that's typically how we do community where you just have people who echo the same things that you think and feel and it's it's what you think about you know current Climate issues, or or, you know, current political issues, and we just regurgitate everyone else's opinion, especially online. Uh, But I think the beautiful witness of the church is that you can have diversity of thought, you can have plurality of opinions, you can have different even political convictions, yet still be together. And I, I thought it was interesting how you said that we don't deserve this communion; it's only because of what God has given us. How does understanding that we don't really deserve to be here? Affect how we see who's in and who's out And who we should let be connected to us And who we shouldn't let be connected to us
1: Well, I, you know, I think, you know Jesus sets the terms of membership in his kingdom, right? You've, you, you know, and there are levels I mean, Jesus has levels of friendship, right? He's got his family He's got the people who are adopted into God's family Through his finished work uh, And these are all the people who've, who've put their, their faith And their trust in his work instead of their own But even those who are outside of that, you know, Jesus is constantly befriending and sometimes defending uh, those people when they're being criticized and bashed by by religious people. You know, you you think about the woman caught in the act of adultery, for instance. Like we don't know how the story ended for her. We don't know what she did after her encounter with Jesus in the eighth chapter of John. But what we do know is the first thing Jesus said to her the first thing he said is i don't condemn you and only after that he said now let's talk about your ethics you know now let's now go leave your life of sin but if you reverse those two sentences you know i do not condemn you now leave your life of sin if you reverse those two sentences you know, leave your life of sin, and then I might—I, I, you know—I uh, won't condemn you. you. You lose Christianity. You lose Christ. You get—you get, you get every other world religion that, that that's based on performance, or every other philosophy, or creed, or politic, um, that, that says you've got to live up to something before you're going to be accepted and embraced. Whereas Jesus says, "Look." Um, come join me in the most inclusive movement in the history of the world. And this is, this is a scandalous thing about Jesus. He says, nobody comes to the father, but through me, which, but through me, which sounds wildly exclusive and offensive to a lot of us. Um, but at the same time, um, he's also the 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 king of a movement that includes people from every nation tribe tongue people group every gender every you know life experience every economic strata every every political whatever Jews and Gentiles male and female slave and free and so on and so you can accuse Jesus of a lot of things but you can't accuse him of being exclusive
0: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but there's that <clears throat> There's both statements you just mentioned. There is, I don't condemn you, and then there's a, a statement about our ethics going forward. Yeah, uh, you have a section of the book about uh, doing soul surgery, and yeah. uh, you mentioned in the book something that makes me glad that we're doing this interview via Skype, is because you said you have bad breath, and <laughs> so like I do like, I, I brush
1: my teeth today, so I'm good. Good, good so. for you, congratulations.
0: <laughs> but you have to have people who who say that to you, like you, you have to have yeah. uh, people who call you out on things and, and to speak the truth into your life. And often when people think of community, we think, like, everyone's just going to be nice and accept me, and to say something like confrontational about that doesn't always come across like it's the kind of community I want to be a part of, because it seems like it's, it's raising the stakes on maybe what I want invested in the community. Why do you think it, it's so hard for us to be comfortable with that level of interaction and uh, openness to what, what people see in us?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's several levels of friendship. And I think that the level that most of us are comfortable with, you know, there's a superficial level where, you know, Luke, you and I, let's say we're we're friends but the only thing we ever talk about is our jobs right you know tell me about your ministry and what you do what are your frustrations you're like oh me too and and we kind of connect on that and that's great and that's fine and good talk about subjects that we're both interested in and then there's maybe kind of the next level of of hey let's let's get a little bit of a little bit honest with each other, like, what, what's one of the things that you struggle with? And we both start talking about the the circumstances and other people that we struggle with. And then the next level of friendship or intimacy would be, all right, what's your biggest problem with you? You know, what what do you struggle with most, what, most when you look in the mirror? And we start sharing freely, you know, about, about the things that we struggle with. And then the next level beyond that is when, when we take With each other and for each other, what we've confessed to one another or what we've pointed out, uh, you know, to one another, observed in one another, to the grace of Christ for, for healing, right? I mean, because... I mean, it's like a doctor. Like, if a doctor discovers a lump underneath somebody's armpit and says, ah, you know, take a couple aspirin, believe me, I'm the expert, you know. No sense in making you uncomfortable with with socially awkward conversation, et cetera, about, you know, you being, you know, deathly ill or whatever. Just take some aspirin and, you know, we'll see you next year. I mean, that that would be, like, pretty harsh and cruel, right? You know, Penn Jillette, the, um, the atheist comedian, has this oh incredibly convicting statement where he says I he basically says have you ever read this Luke where he says I do not respect Christians who do not, do not evangelize I do not respect Christian people if they believe that that eternity hangs in the balance and and because they are worried or nervous about a socially awkward conversation and they're willing to to let me just unknowingly walk in front of a bus to avoid that socially awkward conversation. I have no respect for that. And I'm like, wow, um, that's just mind blowing to me. Like I'm afraid to talk to my own children about God sometimes, right? Let let alone, you know, somebody who, you know, has said, you know, I don't believe this stuff, but, but, um, but there, there are invisible realities that if we understood the gravity of them, both positively, in terms of the positive potential of being anchored with Christ and, and just how glorious and healthy and life-giving things could be uh, by being anchored with Christ and, and and the gravity of how devastating it is ultimately not to be anchored to Christ. If we had a true sense of that, you know, I wonder if our compassion quotient wouldn't grow and our sense of urgency wouldn't grow. Um, so.
0: Yeah, no, I, that that quote has stood out with me. I don't know how long. So you've seen it. <laughs> yeah, years ago, I, I read it, I heard it, I watched it, whatever. And I thought, man, that is uh, a, a very convicting statement because y- you have someone on the outside who's going, obviously, I don't believe in any of this stuff. I think it's ridiculous. But if I did, y- yeah. you have to do something about it. And I think the good news doesn't always cause us to share the good news in the same way that uh, he's describing it, it should. Because, for one, like, it's uncomfortable. Like, that that conversation, like you're saying, like, I'm, I feel uncomfortable talking to my kids or my neighbors or whoever. Uh, we've all been there. I, I've been there. I, there was... Um, to some, not last time, summer, summer before, I went to Greece to film some sermon videos about uh, ancient gods and how we don't believe them anymore. And so I'm doing this one uh, thing in Athens about like, the, like the boldness of early Christians, and there are people who are walking by, and I slowly start talking like, more like this, and I'm whispering. Quiet, yeah. And my friend went, right next to me is going, Luke, are you, just say it. like You're whispering this thing about being bold for Christ. I'm like, okay, I see the irony in that. I see the irony in what just happened right there. Yeah. Um yeah. But th- th- that's us Like, um, It happens And it's not yeah. always easy to, to be that sort of truth teller Who can speak up in, in times of uh, w- w- Where it costs you something uh, w- isn't, isn't it
1: great though Luke That the person that, the, that Jesus Singled out with, with the women who showed up at the empty tomb That the angel of the Lord said I want you to go tell the others And the coward <laughs> I want you to go tell the others And, and Peter Especially tell Peter I'm coming to him that, that yep. it's all good, you know? And so there's so much grace there as well for our cowardice, you know, which should give us more courage, right? Yeah, as it has to do with Peter, but.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, one person that typically doesn't need a whole lot of boldness to speak to, to people like you and me, based on the book, I sensed this is, uh, is your spouse, your wife. Um, yeah, you tell a story about you're at dinner and you, um, you just kind of had a moment where you kind of, uh, maybe lost, uh, your restraint over what you're saying. so you, you chew this person out who's not there and your wife says you shouldn't have said that and then you make this amazing like metaphor which i've I've never heard this before but you describe gossip uh i'll let you use it what is your metaphor for what gossip is pornography of the mouth yeah all right so go ahead and explain that um
1: so gossip and porn um they're different in some ways and they're very much the same in in other ways for instance um you know it, we, we're, we're getting in both instances a, a a cheap thrill that um that costs us nothing and that costs somebody else uh, something significant uh we're objectifying a person we're turning them into a thing instead of a person into an it instead of a he or she uh and and we're we're getting off uh, in, in in different ways, um, whether it's through pornography or through gossip. It's a very self serving uh, endeavor with no commitment to the person yeah. that we're getting off on. Uh, and um, yeah, and that was an instance that it was really a like a literal come to Jesus moment for me because I mean I, I preach against gossip. Like I think that's one of the most dangerous. Um, you know sins in or outside Of churches um, You know and, and in or outside Of Christianity I think it's one of the most Dangerous things that people Can do to each other and um, You know to talk about People instead of talking To them and
0: um, Why do you think it's so dangerous so,
1: Man um, That's a soul in there that you're Tearing apart right I mean that's that's somebody who's created in the image of God. That's, that's somebody who has got an yeah. everlasting something that they're made of. And you're dressing them down when God says, that's my image bearer. And, and you're doing it behind their back, you know, like, like that's a, you know, like even like, like the old Westerns, like it was just, it was just anathema to shoot somebody in the back, like at least have the guts to, to look somebody in the face when you shoot them. Right. and, yeah. and, yeah, you know, Oscar Wilde has this quote. He says, "A uh, he says a true friend will stab you in the front." Um, you know, in other words, if 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 you see something in me that's lacking, Luke, you're going to look me in the eye and say, "I love you too much to let that slide." Like I care about your character too much to to let that slide, Scott. And you're going to look me in the eye instead of going to somebody else and talking about. It. And you're just expanding the circle of of shame for that person without actually addressing the issue of concern. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Pharisees were masters at that, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you're, I mean, that's, that's so right. You, you, you degrade the humanity of someone else by not even giving them the honor of stabbing them in, in the front. Right. right. Uh, I, I told someone not too long ago, I was like, Hey, I'm cool. If you punch me in the face, just don't stab me in the back. Mm. Like, w- mm-hmm. we, we can work together if you punch me in the face, but I, we can't make it work. If you stab me in the back. And, yeah. and that's exactly what gossip does.
1: So, yeah, but I think we have an opportunity instead of punching each other in the face to just kind of gently poke each other in the chest. Maybe. okay, Yeah. Okay, Uh, You know, like 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 confrontation (laughs) between people who care about each other is (laughs) meant to build up, not to not to drag down. Right. I don't want to bruise bruise you, man. I don't want to make you bleed.
0: Um, Maybe so. my metaphor is a little too strong. Okay. I felt like punching was still <laughs> nicer than stabbing, but you're right. Okay. Uh, I'll take
1: a punch over a backstab any day. Well, too.
0: I've never been stabbed. I have been punched. I've never been stabbed. I assume that it's worse, but uh, you're right. Confrontation doesn't need to be that. But uh, so you're at dinner with your wife. She calls you out on something. Hmm. And I've seen a marriage relationship, you have that sort of fidelity of going, okay, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. You can say the sort of truth to me. It seems like not every relationship has that sort of like, uh, there 's no concrete that puts you guys together in, in marriage there is a vow that you 're going to be there forever uh, Unfortunately, a lot of times in the kind of community that that people sometimes experience when someone speaks truth like that that you don 't want to hear it's i 'm done i 'm out
1: I'm- yeah yeah, and which you know Annie you know speaking of Annie downs um, you know we had a conversation a while back uh, when her her church was going through a transition and you know going through some struggles and she was like, ah, oh, it's I just going to be, it's just so hard to hang in, you know? And she had no, she wasn't like about, she wasn't bailing or hitting eject or anything. And I, and I just said to her, I said, you know, Annie, it's, it's really important, uh, as, as, as if it's possible for you, it's really important, um, to stick it out, you know, and, and, and to see what God can do. And she says, you know, why do you say that? Why do you think that? And I, I said, well, I, I think that when, when, a community has a downturn or a relationship or a friendship has a downturn or a marriage has a downturn, that's really the place of opportunity for maturing. Mm-hmm. That's really the place of opportunity for growing up, right? We're, we're, we're not really pressed to, to mature or to grow up or to develop character when things are easy and smooth. It's always in the valleys, right? Like the real test for how much we really love somebody or really love a community is is loyalty when things are hard not fireworks when things are easy and um and you know that that's i think where where marriages really break down is when things get hard when they get Ordinary and mundane, or when they get painful and sleepless after a child is born, right? You've been there. So, so, it, it, you know, that's where the test of love is, is when, when you're actually forced into a position to either bail or serve each other mm-hmm. and, you know, piecing out uh, and, and, and church hopping, right? is like the worst thing that a person can do for their soul, uh, to, to be like this chronic church hopper or what C.S. Lewis called a, a connoisseur of churches. Right. Yep, yep. Um, like if you want to tempt your subject, screw tape says away from the enemy, who's, God, right? Then, then, then you as a good little demon screw tape need to get this man to church as quickly as you can. And, and, and soon enough, he'll hear people singing off of key and they'll be heavy set and they'll wear squeaky boots or whatever images he used. And then he'll discover these people, you know, aren't worth my time. And then he'll bail or he'll start hopping around and tasting. Uh, different churches and different styles, and and what you want is for him to become a taster and connoisseur of churches. Meanwhile, his character will go untouched. And so, I mean, you're a pastor. I'd I'd love to hear your perspective on it.
0: Well, I I know Nashville is a hotbed for uh, many great churches, and so there are plenty of reasons why someone feels like, oh, I want to go check this out. Oh, there's a new church, and I love the music at this church, and, and, and you want to go here and there and taste a little bit of everything. Uh, but what it, it, it prevents is it prevents the kind of relationship that really has a depth to it and so in some ways people are going from honeymoon experience to honeymoon experience where you get the best of whatever new church is and oh they've got this and that and i love the teaching or, or i love this class or i love this small group and then you just keep hopping around and you never actually have to put roots down and yeah. so everything stays super shallow and it, it, it's heartbreaking to see people leave because, as a pastor, you're like that happens. That that yeah. that's unfortunately part of the normative experience at at church these days. I, I think yeah. in the metropolitan areas, like where you and I right. serve, yeah, people are at churches what four years now on average. There's a turn like every if four that, years, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you go, you you're not you're just getting to the good stuff. Like at at yeah. this point, you just know the real stories, and you can't replicate that's right. that. W-
1: that's right. Church is not a consumer good, and and I, I think that's in many ways a uniquely american approach to church it is that the church like like every other experience is treated as a consumer good and um, you keep your options open but um,
0: how, how do you how do you guys work on that i mean your church multi site how many different Locations we have three
1: locations. Um, you know, we launched uh, number two and number three uh, in the past. Well, number two about three years ago, and number three just recently in the Franklin area, which is a little bit south of us. The yeah. first, uh, the number two, is in uh, Music Row, Vanderbilt neighborhood. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean we. I mean, I, I had this conversation with our our staff directors yesterday. Um, we just we beat the drum internally at our church. We do not poach from other churches. Our target is not member of other members of other churches. Our sole target for outreach is people who are new to town and people who don't go to church and and I don't care if our other churches try and you know to take our members like that doesn't mean we're gonna we're gonna respond in kind um you know if we're, if we're gonna say we believe in being anchored in a local church, then we have to believe as much in being anchored at the church down the street uh, as we do being anchored in our own and and so we don't we don't pitch our ministries you know with with a goal to woo people you know to expand our share of the Christian market um that, that's not really kingdom growth. That's just, that's just cultivating immaturity. That's, that's just cultivating church hopping and, and you're not helping people by that developing their character.
0: What do you think helps people to not be church hoppers, but to be core, uh, core, to be connected, to be deeply ingrained in the life of the church? What are, what are things they're doing? What are characteristics that you see? Yeah, I, I think, um,
1: well, I mean, this is where maybe I'll, I'll, come out as a little bit of a hypocrite i think pastoral longevity um, Hmm. you know you know like what what pete eugene peterson called the long obedience in the same direction you know he he was faithful to one church you know 250 people or whatever for for like decades until you know he yeah you know started writing books full-time um and you know that has a way of building roots and stability right and and so I think it starts with the leadership. Like the leadership needs to be loyal. The leadership needs to needs to love their church and not complain about their church, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. which can be easy to do. Like the closer you get to the sheep, you the more you realize it's hard to be a shepherd sometimes. But um, you know, uh, so it starts with us. And and I mean, truly, I I, I think that it, it's it's going to be the Holy Spirit that's going to you know, persuade people of the importance of the church as family. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we got to preach it. We got to model it where we can. And hopefully our leaders are on board with modeling it as well. And and it has a ripple effect, but.
0: Hmm. That's good. Yeah, I I think you're, in churches, if you say something is valued, uh, but you don't show people that the leadership values it. If you say that, you know, we want to be a church who's diverse, but then the only people on stage are just, white guys, then you're communicating this is really all that matters to us. And so I think you're exactly right. We have to model it, and yeah. that's, that's easier said than done. I'd rather just, like, put it off on them and say, you know, congregation, this is what you need to do. But, but realize that as Christians, like, no matter if you're a, a pastor or parishioner or whatever, like, we all have the same calling yeah. from Jesus. Yeah.
1: I think, too, Luke, if I could add to this, the one other thing that we, we can do to help our people anchor is to have good character ourselves. Like, like one legitimate reason to to consider jumping is a lack of integrity in the leadership. Um, you know, you know, a lack of biblical fidelity and a lack of integrity in the leadership. Um, you know, those those are, I think, pretty good reasons to consider. A change. So I don't want to just completely absolutize staying at one place for the rest of your life. Because there are, like you said, legitimate reasons. Um, you know, maybe you have a kid, you know, you have a new kid with with special needs in the church you're at. It's just it's just impossible um, mm-hmm. for everybody to, to make that work. You know, you've you, you potentially got to find a, a situation that works, you know. So there's got to be grace given there as well. And so our policy is we, we don't shame people out the door. Um, you know we love them out the door if they leave. Um, we affirm them out the door and, and we believe it's god's work, you know for whatever reasons it's God's work in their lives, um, but't we don't, we don't recruit uh, into our own doors from from other churches and so you know hopefully that sends a message
0: yeah know. exactly and one of the great things about both of our towns is there are other churches that are doing some really amazing things and yeah. Uh, the, Aaron and Jamie at Austin Stone and, and the other people mm-hmm. down there. Just, mm-hmm. Those are good people. Like we're, I'm, I'm very glad that some people are being uh, molded to look more like Jesus because of the work that they're doing at Stone and other places. Mm-hmm. We've got um, great churches here just like their great churches in Nashville, and it's great to to be reminded that it's not just on us. Which means we don't feel like we need to take from them because it's not like we need to save. I don't, I don't need to to save Austinites from Austin Stone, right? Like I, I trust that God is doing great work there. Yeah. And unfortunately, th- that that attitude is not always had everywhere where there's not a charitable appreciation of God's work in other churches. But Yeah. Nevertheless. Um mm. so, the uh the book Irresistible Faith. Congratulations on the book. Is it already out now? Thanks. Uh
1: you know, the the release date is January 22, uh at least on Amazon, but I'm hearing from people that they're seeing it on the shelves at Barnes and Noble and other, you know, places like that okay. so it may or may not be out uh, but the, the official Launches. release date is january 22 which is in six days six okay. days out of from, from now so
0: we'll have the podcast out of right around then uh awesome. scott saul's irresistible face people go check it out uh scott it has been great to meet you likewise thanks, thanks Luke. thanks for taking the time thanks for checking out newsworthy with norisworthy make sure to subscribe to the podcast on itunes you are now adjourned